on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. Uh, I do get preempted for sports sometimes, so if you are looking for a little uh, fix, you can go to my website, MonicaPerezShow.com, where you can find the podcast of this show, uh, my online show, The Propaganda Report. There's plenty to find there. And uh, But if you have not heard this show before, you are really in for a treat because it should be the best show ever. And that's not because of what I'm going to bring to it. It's because I had the opportunity to interview the great libertarian congressman and former presidential candidate, Ron Paul. So for a hardcore libertarian, I'm actually an anarcho-capitalist. For a libertarian like me, this is like the highlight of my career. So he did not have a lot of time. So I wanted to really hit the ground running. I kind of went a little New York on the guy, but of course he could roll with it. So, uh, and the result was a really fast paced, jam packed interview that I'm going to share with you right now. Here is my interview with the great Dr. Ron Paul. Hello, this is Ron. Hello, Dr. Paul. This is Monica Perez. Monica, nice to talk with you. Thank you so much for sharing some time with us today. Good. Uh, I know that you have a tight schedule, so I want to jump right in if you're ready. I am all set to go. All righty. There are so many world-changing issues that I would love to discuss with you and even just discuss in general, from immigration to policing to foreign policy. But I find that it is so hard to have an intelligent conversation about these topics without someone bringing up identity, throwing around accusations of racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, whatever they can to corral the political conversation. And I know from observing uh, that you have had to deal with this plenty over the years. And I was wondering if you could offer us some insights into how to get past that roadblock to having really honest, productive discussions. Well, it's never very easy, and, you know, it's getting worse, you know, with this uh, political correctness going on. So anything they can do to name somebody and demagogue an issue and paint you in a certain way, that certainly was the case uh, that happened with me so often in Washington, um, because it would be like if I didn't do exactly uh, what the neocons wanted, then it was anti-Semitism that uh, I wasn't willing to support Israel. If I didn't want to go to war, then I was anti-American. I was un-American because I wouldn't want to do this. And, and, of course, if you don't uh, endlessly uh, support a welfare state, then you hate poor people. So it goes on and on. I think the only way you can do it is combat it with ideas. You know, the, uh, uh, they, they have a losing fight, and they get the, the more they use their tactics, uh, the more, I, I think, desperate they are. So they do the name-calling, and uh, yet uh, I, I think the answer has to be for us to stay on, on uh, the principles that we believe in. But one basic principle is that uh, 
don't allow them to talk about people in in groups and uh, rights don't go to groups. Uh, you know they claim uh, you know in the campaign, what are you going to do for the women? What are you going to do for the minorities? Well, uh, that's an insult. Uh, why why would women have to have special privileges? I think everybody is an individual. Rights come to us in a natural way, and that uh, they deserve. Everybody deserves the same uh, same rights, and uh, it's not because one belongs in a group. Because if you start doing some things in group, matter of fact, it comes from the fact that certain groups were punished, uh, and therefore now they say, well, certain groups have to have privileges. But the libertarian answer is that no, we don't deal in groups. Everybody uh, is an individual, and they should be respected for such, and they should have uh, a total, uh, you know, protection of, of the law, and not and not uh, punished. Because if you don't do this, then you're always going to have the special groups vying for the interest. Then they go, and it sets up the stage that if you can start shifting benefits to certain groups, then uh, the, the, the special interest will control things, and that's what happens in Washington. That you have all these uh, special special conditions and, and special interests, and the money goes in. But if government uh, was to uh, if government existed mainly to protect liberty, it would be a different story, and then people would assume more responsibility. But it is a problem. It happens all the time. It's probably going to continue. It's probably going to get worse uh, as this bankruptcy you know continues to evolve and get much worse but the but the answer is found in individual liberty and property rights and combating people who use these tactics uh with just a better idea uh, i've been uh, you know pleased with the response from many college kids saying that you know what you're talking about is just common sense and i really do believe that if people understand what liberty is all about it is common sense and it's the best thing we can do for peace and prosperity and that is actually uh I've observed that when you have strong principles, a very consistent uh, libertarian philosophy, you can really find all of the answers uh, using those touchstones to principle. But there is something that uh, there is an element of courage that I have found personally in just trying to sometimes deliver unpopular libertarian positions that I've always wanted to ask you. And maybe maybe this was never even an issue for you, but I have always wanted to ask you, all those years standing alone before a hostile Congress defending liberty and the Constitution, did did you find that it took courage or was it easy for you to stand up for your principles, for a just cause, and just view it as an opportunity? Because I do find myself, uh, sometimes I have to just uh, steal myself for for that when, you know, particularly if it's if I'm alone, like you were all those years in Congress. No, I, I never had a problem uh, because I know I would have been much more miserable. Uh, it would have had it, when they put pressure on me to do this and do that. Uh, it was just inconceivable. Uh, so I, ne- I never had that that problem. But uh, I, I don't think it's the word is courage. It's just determination and a, and, a, and a setting out to set. Uh, a st- I wanted to always set a standard because I never I didn't have any desire at all for power or other people. So that was a normal instinct. So I had no desire to be the chairman of the committee, and uh, therefore uh, my my goal uh, was to present a case. I never thought I'd be elected, and when I was elected, I'm going to say, well, I told them what I was going to do, so I'm going to do it, and then I probably won't get reelected, but then I kept getting reelected. <laughs> then, I decided, then I decided, well, I uh, know I'm not changing the world. Uh, I would uh, I would have been, uh, you know, probably dejected, you know. I would probably think, well, this isn't worth it. I'm not changing the, uh, changing the world. 
But uh, I wanted to set a standard thinking that, well, maybe someday somebody might look at the voting record and uh, wonder why I voted that way. Because it was sort of a mystery to a lot of individuals in the 70s, because I'd be voting sometimes with the far-left progressives, you know, on civil liberties or war or something. they come, what are you doing? You're conservative and this sort of thing. But as years went by, they figured it out. And uh, the one rule I had for myself was never to make it partisan, never to make it personal, never to attack individual, and not to do it confrontational and do it more by asking questions. And if you notice, there's been a couple speeches in the congressional record where I was just really asking the questions and trying to get people to think about it. And I always thought, and I might have been naive to think so, that that even the opposition uh, did grant me a little bit of respect for uh, not demagoguing the issue and participating in the same thing that everybody else was doing. Well, speaking of asking questions, sometimes just asking questions can get people to demonize you in, in kind of the same vein as shutting people down by calling them racist or sexist or whatever. Uh, accusations of conspiracy theorists can be used to shut down conversations about the true nature of power in the world. And the way I look at it, obviously, power is used in the world, and it's not always transparent. They don't always tell them, tell, you know, Fox News doesn't always tell you what's going on behind the scenes. You know, it's a preposterous idea that we know what's going on, that everything is revealed. And I just wonder how uh, you, you can have a conversation similar to the other kind of roadblocks they throw up when they say, well, you, you shouldn't even be on this guy's show because he's a conspiracy theorist. How do you deal with that? Yeah, well, if, if somebody is closed-minded, I don't deal with them. You know, if somebody uh, has an open mind, I will. I was always pleased that every once in a while, uh, somebody would, a member of Congress would come down and sit next to me and ask very serious questions. And I, I was taught over the years that if you prepare yourself and become as knowledgeable as possible, uh, that the only thing that's worthwhile is when they ask the questions, why are you doing this? So I don't go out of my way to, uh, you know, to, to push it. But when once in a while, if they will uh, challenge me a little bit, I say, well, yeah, I, but I only believe, I believe in conspiracies, but the, only the ones that are true. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you have to ask the questions to figure that out. Yeah. So, uh, of course, uh, you know, thinking about the deep state and who really, uh, you know, make the plans and control things, uh, I think I became more, uh, some people would say conspiratorial, because I don't, you know, I don't. I don't think the Congress has any power and authority at all. They've given it up. You know, it's it's in the executive branch. It's the judicial system. It's in the lobbying group. It's in the you know the CIA and the FBI and the Federal Reserve. Uh, that's that's where the real action is. So, uh, but I think I think we're making some progress on this. You know, when what sixty some percent of the American people don't trust the government, and uh, now uh, you know you used to be a conspiracy person if you challenge you know the Kennedy assassination. Well, 78% or more now say that uh, it wasn't Oswald, and yet, boy, you could never challenge that back back in the old days. Same thing with 9-11. I mean, uh, you, you know, you, you were some sort of a nut to challenge just what went on in here. Everybody in the Congress voted for the idea of challenging Saudi Arabia for paying for it, <laughs> you know. and Yeah, that was amazing. So, you know, time goes on, and um, truthers resisted at the beginning, but truth does win out uh, in, in the end. But uh, what one thing that I tell myself, and, and so I don't get too upset about it, is um, that in an empire, truth is, is the thing they hate the most. Truth, uh, truth is treasonous to 
people and, and just uh, just look how they treat Edward Snowden and others they put in prison for telling the truth. But that doesn't mean that we should, uh, you know, back off. It means we're on the right track. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they like to demagogue it and say, oh, you're just a conspiracy nut. But, um, you know, some of them, you know, they come around and they, they have been. So I think uh, truth wins out in the end. They, you know, we who have been talking about the Federal Reserve for a long time, I think there's a lot of conspiracy going on there. Uh, you know, secret operations and spending money and control and all these things. But right now, the American people have a negative viewpoint of the Federal Reserve. And it used to be that they were like a saint. They could do anything. They would always get us out of the recession. Well, they've gotten us into one big one. And most people are saying, what are they doing? Even the, even the conventional financiers on Wall Street are saying, hey, it looks like the Fed's losing control. You know, so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, eventually, I think we win all these fights uh, if we're on the right track and just stick to what we see as uh, being the truth. We have to take a quick break. I'm going to come back with the second half of my interview with Ron Paul after this. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB, and we just heard part one of my interview with the great Libertarian Ron Paul. And that was quite a privilege for me. I am a longtime hardcore libertarian for any libertarian geeks out there. I am a, I go the full Rothbard. <laughs> Murray Rothbard, the Mr. Libertarian, who, who's really said the only law should be don't touch me or my stuff. And that government should exist just to kind of suss out the nuances of that, you know, on the margins. And I, I fully support that. Uh, and Ron Paul doesn't go quite as far as that. Uh, I'm sure he understands it. He knew Murray Rothbard. But still, his libertarian positions are always spot on. And he has the added benefit of all this experience in government. He was 24 years in Congress. He's a smart guy, a humble guy, I got to say. And he has a lot of integrity and a real understanding of the principles. So what I wanted, what I was trying to get out of him in the interview was not just uh, what, what I could have heard from the mainstream media. Rather, I wanted him to give us some insights into how to carry on that fight. Like if he had any tactics or ideas for how to face a hostile crowd or whatever and the funny thing is i expected these little insider you know uh tactics but what what it ended up being was really just always this touchstone of principle that always to remember uh, to treat people as individuals, to defend individual rights, that we are all equal in that way. And if you keep your eye on the ball, it, you don't have to get uh, drowned out by identity politics or uh, personal attacks. It was really uh, great insights. That was the first half of the interview. So next, I'm going to play the second half where I tried to get a little more into the issues that are dominating the news right now that are kind of 
top of mind in the election cycle. I wanted to talk a little bit about immigration, foreign policy. So I uh, I have another half of this great interview coming up. If you missed the first half, you can always re-listen to the whole thing on my website, MonicaPerezShow.com. But for now, stay tuned because I'll be back with more of my interview with the great Dr. Ron Paul. You got me excited because this would truly be both an adventure and a learning experience. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. Uh, I do get preempted for sports sometimes, so if you are looking for a little uh, fix, you can go to my website, MonicaPerezShow.com, where you can find the podcast of this show, uh, my online show, The Propaganda Report. There's plenty to find there. And uh, But if you have not heard this show before, you are really in for a treat because it should be the best show ever. And that's not because of what I'm going to bring to it. It's because I had the opportunity to interview the great libertarian congressman and former presidential candidate, Ron Paul. So for a hardcore libertarian, I'm actually an anarcho-capitalist. For a libertarian like me, this is like the highlight of my career. So he did not have a lot of time. So I wanted to really hit the ground running. I kind of went a little New York on the guy. But of course, he could roll with it. So uh, And the result was a really fast-paced, jam-packed interview that I'm going to share with you right now. Here is my interview with the great Dr. Ron Paul. Hello, this is Ron. Hello, Dr. Paul. This is Monica Perez. Monica, nice to talk with you. Thank you so much for sharing some time with us today. Good. Uh, I know that you have a tight schedule, so I want to jump right in if you're ready. I am all set to go. All righty. There are so many world-changing issues that I would love to discuss with you and even just discuss in general, from immigration to policing to foreign policy. But I find that it is so hard to have an intelligent conversation about these topics without someone bringing up identity, throwing around accusations of racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, whatever they can to corral the political conversation. And I know from observing uh, that you have had to deal with this plenty over the years. And I was wondering if you could offer us some insights into how to get past that roadblock to having really honest, productive discussions. Well, it's never very easy. And, you know, it's getting worse, you know, with this uh, political correctness going on. So anything they can do to name somebody and demagogue an issue and paint you in a certain way, that certainly was the case uh, that happened with me so often in Washington. Um, because it would be like if I didn't do exactly uh, what the neocons wanted, and it was anti-Semitism that uh, I wasn't willing to support Israel. If I didn't want to go to war, then I was anti-American. I was un-American because I wouldn't want to do this. And, and of course, if you don't uh, endlessly uh, support a welfare state, then you hate poor people. So it goes on and on. I think the only way you can do it is combat it with ideas. You know, the, uh, uh, they, they have a losing fight, and they get the, the more they use their tactics, the, the more, I, I think, desperate they are. So they do the name-calling, and uh, yet uh, I, I think the answer has to be for us to stay on, on uh, the principles that we believe in. But one basic principle is that uh, 
don't allow them to talk about people in in groups and uh, rights don't go to groups. Uh, you know they claim that uh, you know in the campaign, what are you going to do for the women? What are you going to do for the minorities? Well, uh, that's an insult. Uh, why why would women have to have special privileges? I think everybody is an individual. Rights come to us in a natural way, and that uh, they deserve. Everybody deserves the same uh, same rights, and uh, it's not because one belongs in a group. Because if you start doing some things in group, matter of fact, it comes from the fact that certain groups were punished, uh, and therefore now they say, well, certain groups have to have privileges. But the libertarian answer is that no, we don't deal in groups. Everybody uh, is an individual, and they should be respected for such, and they should have uh, a total, uh, you, know, you know, protection of, of the law, and not and not uh, punished. Because if you don't do this, then you're always going to have the special groups vying for the interest. Then they go, and it, it sets up the stage that if you can start shifting benefits to certain groups, then uh, the, the, the special interest will control things, and that's what happens in Washington. You have all these uh, special special conditions and, and special interests, and the money goes in. But if government uh, was to uh, if government existed mainly to protect liberty, it would be a different story, and then people would assume more responsibility. But it is a problem. It happens all the time. It's probably going to continue. It's probably going to get worse uh, as this bankruptcy you know, continues to evolve and get much worse. But the but the answer is found in individual liberty and property rights and combating people who use these tactics uh, with just a better idea. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, pleased with the response from many college kids saying that, you know, what you're talking about is just common sense. And I really do believe that if people understand what liberty is all about, it is common sense, and it's the best thing we can do for peace and prosperity. And that is actually... Uh I've observed that when you have strong principles, a very consistent uh, libertarian philosophy, you can really find all of the answers uh, using those touchstones to principle. But there is something that uh, there is an element of courage that I have found personally in just trying to sometimes deliver unpopular libertarian positions that I've always wanted to ask you. And maybe maybe this was never even an issue for you, but I've always wanted to ask you, all those years standing alone before a hostile Congress defending liberty and the Constitution, did did you find that it took courage or was it easy for you to stand up for your principles, for a just cause and just view it as an opportunity? Because I do find myself, uh, sometimes I have to just uh, steal myself for for that when, you know, particularly if it's if I'm alone, like you were all those years in Congress. No, I, I never had a problem uh, because I know I would have been much more miserable. Uh, it would have had it, when they put pressure on me to do this and do that. Uh, it was just inconceivable. Uh, so I, I never had that that problem. But uh, I, I don't think it's the word is courage. It's just determination and a and a, and a setting out to set. Uh, a st- I wanted to always set a standard because I never I didn't have any desire at all for power over other people. So that was a normal instinct. So I had no desire to be the chairman of the committee, and uh, therefore uh, my my goal uh, was to present a case. I never thought I'd be elected. Then when I was elected, I'm going to say, well, I told them what I was going to do, so I'm going to do it. And then I probably won't get reelected, but then I kept getting reelected. <laughs> then, I decided, then I decided, well, I know I'm not changing the world. Uh, I would uh, I would have been 
you know, probably dejected, you know, I would probably think, well, this isn't worth it. I'm not changing the, uh, changing the world. But uh, I wanted to set a standard thinking that, well, maybe someday somebody might look at the voting record and uh, wonder why I voted that way, because it was sort of a mystery to a lot of individuals in the 70s, because I'd be voting sometimes with the far-left progressives, you know, on civil liberties or war or something. they come, what are you doing? You're conservative and this sort of thing. But as years went by, they figured it out. And uh, the one rule I had for myself was never to make it partisan, never to make it personal, never to attack individual, and not to do it confrontational and do it more by asking questions. And if you notice, there's been a couple speeches in the congressional record where I was just really asking the questions and trying to get people to think about it. And I always thought, and I might have been naive to think so, that that even the opposition uh, did grant me a little bit of respect for uh, not demagoguing the issue and participating the same thing that everybody else was doing. Well, speaking of asking questions, sometimes just asking questions can get people to demonize you and in kind of the same vein as shutting people down by calling them racist or sexist or whatever. Uh, accusations of conspiracy theorists can be used to shut down conversations about the true nature of power in the world. And the way I look at it, Obviously, power is used in the world, and it's not always transparent. They don't always tell them, tell, you know, Fox News doesn't always tell you what's going on behind the scenes. You know, it's a preposterous idea that we know what's going on, that everything is revealed. And I just wonder how uh, you, you can have a conversation similar to the other kind of roadblocks they throw up when they say, well, you, you shouldn't even be on this guy's show because he's a conspiracy theorist. How do you deal with that? Yeah, well, if, if somebody is closed-minded, I don't deal with them. You know, if somebody uh, has an open mind, I will. I was always pleased that every once in a while, uh, somebody would, a member of Congress would come down and sit next to me and ask very serious questions. And I, I was taught over the years that if you prepare yourself and become as knowledgeable as possible, uh, that the only thing that's worthwhile is when they ask the questions, why are you doing this? So I don't go out of my way to, uh, you know, to, to push it. But when, once in a while, if they will uh, challenge me a little bit, I say, well, yeah, I, but I only believe, I believe in conspiracies, but the, only the ones that are true. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you have to ask the questions to figure that out. Yeah. So, uh, of course, uh, you know, thinking about the deep state and who really, uh, you know, make plans and control things, uh, I think I became more, uh, some people would say, conspiratorial because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think the Congress has any power and authority at all. They've given it up. You know, it's, it's in the executive branch. It's the judicial system. It's in the lobbying group. It's in the, you know, the CIA and the FBI and the Federal Reserve, uh, that's, that's where the real action is. So, uh, but I think, I think we're making some progress on this. You know, when, what, 60-some percent of the American people don't trust the government? And uh, now, uh, you know, you used to be a conspiracy person if you challenge, you know, the Kennedy assassination. Well, 78% or more now say that uh, it wasn't Oswald, and yet, boy, you couldn't ever challenge that back back in the old days. Same thing with 9-11. I mean, uh, you, you know, you, you were some sort of a nut 
challenge just what went on in here. Everybody in the Congress voted for the idea of challenging Saudi Arabia for paying for it. <laughs> you know, and yeah, that was amazing. So you know, time goes on, and um, truthers resisted at the beginning, but truth does win out uh, in, in the end. But uh, one thing that I tell myself, and, and so I don't get too upset about it, is um, that in an empire, truth is, is the thing they hate the most. Truth, uh, truth is treasonous to people, and, and just uh, just look how they treat Edward Snowden and others. They put in prison for telling the truth, but that doesn't mean that we should, uh, you know, back off. It means we're on the right track. Uh, but uh, yeah, they like to demagogue it and say, "Oh, you're just a conspiracy nut." But um, you know, some of them, you know, they come around and they they have been. So I think uh, truth wins out in the end. They, you know, we who have been talking about the Federal Reserve for a long time, I think there's a lot of conspiracy going on there. Uh, you know, secret operations and spending money and control and all these things. But right now, the American people have a negative viewpoint of the Federal Reserve. And it used to be that they were like a saint. They could do anything. They would always get us out of the recession. Well, they've gotten us into one big one. And most people are saying, what are they doing? Even the, even the conventional financiers on Wall Street are saying, hey, it looks like the Fed's losing control. You know, so uh, it's uh, it's it's. Eventually, I think we win all these fights uh, if we're on the right track and just stick to what we see as uh, being the truth. We have to take a quick break. I'm going to come back with the second half of my interview with Ron Paul after this. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. I do get preempted sometimes, so check out my website, MonicaPerezShow.com, for podcasts of all my old shows, my online show. Uh, I really felt it was such a great privilege to talk to Dr. Paul. I have heard you know, hours and hours of his interviews, of his thoughts, of his debates when he was running for president. And, I, and I've always wanted to ask him specific questions about how, how, he, how he was effective, what he learned over the years on how to be effective as a, a libertarian, a defender of liberty, because there were many years there in Congress, when he he stood alone, I mean, people kind of, uh, you know, didn't really pay him the respect that he later forced them to pay him with the Ron Paul revolution. I have a shirt from his uh, 2008 run that says, who is Ron Paul on the shirt? But by his 2012 run for president, like my shirt didn't even make sense anymore. So he really made people sit up and take notice and uh, really simplified or at least made this libertarian message so accessible that it really caught fire. I mean, it, it caused brush fires throughout the land. And I, and I feel like his legacy continues and we want and he is doing so much work on his own still, which is just great that he's willing to do it all. 
He's just tireless. But what I really wanted to do was to understand how we can better carry on this fight. And uh, I think he gave us so much uh, insight into that. And also just some real specifics on on some of the more nuanced or powerful issues that are right now dominating the election cycle. So I was happy, really happy with that. Um, I thank him so, so much for his valuable time. And uh, you can re-listen to this uh, on my website, MonicaPerezShow.com. WSB is going to replay it. And I'm going to have some more thoughts about this. I'm going to kind of unpack some of his ideas, put them in the context of the presidential election. And uh, WSB is going to play that now. Or you can, uh, you'll be able to find that on my website. Also, MonicaPerezShow.com. Until next time, this is Monica Perez.